0: This talk was given by Susan Sayen Wilder at Zen Mountain Monastery. Sayen is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at ZMM.org. Thanks for listening. Hello on this very hot summer day. So we're just about hitting the middle of session. So this hot summer day perfectly matches our hot mind. (laughs) For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sayin. I'm a lay practitioner here at the monastery. And I love this practice. And I love practicing together. So if you're new to this practice, part of the training of a lay senior student is giving talks. So I appreciate you supporting my training. <laughs> I hope you find this talk helpful. This talk is dedicated to my teacher, Shugam Roshi, for whom I am boundlessly grateful. And to all the teachers and teachings that I've had the great fortune to encounter, I also want to thank my family who have been unwaveringly supportive in me leaving home again and again and again and again to come here and practice. Because historically, this is a monastic practice. And it is the monastics and the teachers that hold this dharmic vessel pure and intact for generations to come. As a lay practitioner, I can say with gratitude and confidence These 2,500-year-old teachings are as real, vital, relevant, and nourishing as when the Buddha first taught them. If we take them up and engage them with our hearts and complete body and mind, ourselves and lives really do transform. What I would like to talk about today is opening our eyes in ordinary life and how these practices enable us to have an authentic and connected life. Please note, note carefully, these teachings are clear, profound, and lucid. So if this talk is helpful, it really is the teaching speaking. If there is any confusion, if it's disjointed, if it's opaque or unclear in any way, that is only because saying is getting in the way. Mm -hmm. So I would like to start with the poem by Shugum Roshi. No, thanks. Shugam Roshi read this poem at a funeral service several years ago. I actually asked him after the service if I could have a copy of it and I put it on my desk. And I read this poem almost every day as a reminder, as a touchstone for me of what is true. Along the road, countless lives Come and go. Long ones and short ones, blessed ones and stricken ones. But say, do the many streams have one source? What can be done about the departing seasons? No arising, no passing. No birth, nothing to extinguish. How can I speak of it? The long, cold winter is past. The returning songbirds make a valley chorus. Young blossom in the morning sun seem more tender than before. For me, this poem is an exquisite reminder. Some of us have blessed lives. Some of us have stricken lives. Many of us each day wake up to what can feel like overwhelming anxiety, confusion, pain, despair, maybe even hopelessness. But also, there is unspeakable beauty, joy, bounty, and love. All of this, all of these expressions of life are what Shugam Roshi refers to as streams that come from the same source. So, what is this source Shugumoshi refers to? This source is the ineffable heart of the Buddhist teaching. When we encounter the Buddhist teachings, we hear of the teaching of emptiness, of shunyata. Every day we hear and chant the words, no eye, ear, tongue, body, mind. We chant and hear, form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. What exactly is this teaching on emptiness talking about? What is it pointing to? Do we really have any sense of the actual heart of this teaching? So let's pause. Everyone drop into their body. Settle, and I'm gonna say to you, emptiness. What is emptiness? Can you feel it? Can you imagine it in your mind? Now let's put that to the side. Okay, ready? I'm going to say to you, candy. I want you each to imagine the first time you tasted your favorite candy or sweet treat. Sit with that for a moment. Can you feel the delight and pleasure in your body and mind's eye? So now we've encountered the dilemma of the Buddhist teachings. The dilemma of the Buddhist teachings is to try to put into words the profound, ineffable experience of who we are and the nature of what is true. Many of us, certainly I was at the top of the list, when we hear the word emptiness, we associate or associate nihilism, emptiness, nothingness. Can we possibly imagine these precious teachings offering nihilism? I have heard Khandra Rinpoche speak repeatedly of so many students unable to bring the teachings to full life as a result of trying to understand emptiness rather than experiencing the reality of this profound teaching. So, for me, as a lay student, I, in fact, imagine that emptiness can be seen as fullness, fullness of everything and everyone. For me, that is what these precious teachings are pointing to. In my ordinary life, I have found that thinking of emptiness is a wee thing. So, every time I think of empty, I think of we. Not one thing left out. Not one suffering. Not one being. Not one joy or happiness. The full catastrophe. Every part of it. Each and every one of us. Full. Empty. By bringing this understanding of the nature of reality into our ordinary life, we can engage these teachings and let them live through us. So the question that naturally arises is if all things are empty or full, then how does everything end up being such a mess and so confused? Shanti Deva says, all the harm with which the world is rife, all the fear and suffering that there is, clinging to the I has caused it. What am I to do with this great demon? So who is this I we all struggle with? Am I, the I, called Susan, Saiyan, Mom, grandma say, wife, Zen student. Is that who I really am? The teachings in every Buddhist tradition teach the same truth. We are all bright, indestructible, diamond-like, luminous, lovely, innately cognizant beings. Every tradition... Shugam Roshi spoke of it in his poem. No arising, no passing, no birth, nothing to extinguish. How can I speak of it, he said. <clears throat> this eye that we all carry with us is our Buddha nature. We are like a diamond, truly. However, we are a diamond covered in mud, and the mud is our self-clinging. The self-clinging mud covering our Buddha diamond nature is comprised of all our afflictive emotions. These emotions are called kleshas in the traditional teachings. Whenever a solid sense of self shows up, whenever I appear, so does pain and suffering. But I want to be clear, really clear at this point. These teachings on no self are not advocating being a doormat. Okay, so I just want to be really, really clear because I hear chatter about that. The teaching of no self, of no solid sense of self, does not mean advocating or tolerating any kind of abuse. These teachings advocate and offer us skillful means, teaching us the daunting task of taming this I, so that we do not create havoc and disharmony wherever we show up. These teachings offer skillful means to remain connected and affirming what is good and real and who we really are. Tim Olsted, a senior student of Mingyu Rinpoche, describes his experience of transforming his afflictive emotions in a talk I heard him give. Tim says, I'm quoting, I spent many years on the trail of trying to figure out why in the world I should be patient with myself or others, why in the world I should be open and compassionate when I felt like I was being wronged. I can remember quite vividly, he says, one time asking Trangu Rinpoche about this. Trangu Rinpoche, as an aside, is one of the most senior meditation masters and scholars in the Kagyu tradition alive today. What he says has stuck with me for the past 30 years. When I asked him, he said, Tim, If you were sitting at your desk and your desk was covered with papers and someone came in and upended your desk, what would you do? I said, of course, I would be furious. He said, if you were sitting at your desk and all your papers were there, sitting on your desk, and a friend of yours who was a legless drunk came in and fell on the desk, and the papers went flying. What would you do? I said, I would get up and see if he were okay. Rinpoche said, of course you would. Then he said, everybody is intoxicated by afflicting emotions. I'll say it again. <laughs> everybody, each and every one of us, and everybody we've ever met, and everybody we ever will meet, is intoxicated by afflicting emotions. This simple image is a perfect way of understanding the nature of confusion and why people do what they do. This simple example is a perfect insight that allows us the patience of not reacting when we feel like we've been harmed. All human beings want to be happy, and all of us create suffering and karma when we're overwhelmed and intoxicated by our afflictive emotions. So, this is what has transformed my life, and so I'm sharing it today. Let's look at all these afflictive emotions, call them out, and name them. It's important to give them name tags, so to speak, so we know who we are in the room with. There are five clashes, or afflictive emotions, that we are all infected by. The first one is the one I struggled the hardest with. It's something we hear in the teachings all the time. Ignorance. Ignorance. I heard the teachings over and over again, and I understood it, but I never got it. I didn't feel it. And then I had the good fortune of stumbling across a teaching by Kelsan Wangmo. Kelsang Wangmo is a German-born Tibetan Buddhist nun who is the first woman to earn the prestigious Geshe degree. The Geshe degree is a monastic degree that is equivalent to a PhD in Tibetan Buddhist studies. When I encountered her teaching, I felt like a penny dropped, and I finally got it. Ignorance, Geshe Wangmo says, I don't like the word ignorance. It implies we are stupid. We are not stupid. And that's how I always felt. I would hear the word ignorance, and I would think, well, I know it's not saying I'm stupid, but I'm stupid, so I whatever. <laughs> Geshe Wang Mo says that she prefers the word misperception. I thought, wow, Right? Misperception. Misperception is the cause for all of our troubles. Misperceiving reality, she says, is how every problem exists. So we are all ignorant of the nature of reality. Right? We are misperceiving. Everything is permanent rather than impermanent, totally. We are misperceiving everything is independent rather than interdependent, right? And we are misperceiving we are a solid entity called the self. So... Every problem exists because of our misperception of reality. That's Clacia One. Number two is anger or aversion. Is there anyone in the room that isn't familiar with anger or aversion? Number three is desire. Desire can be greed, lust, the gimmies. Gotta have it. Number four is pride. (laughs) And number five is jealousy. These clashes cause pain and suffering. These teachings we are opening our eyes to offer us the opportunity to look at our ordinary lives and see the confusion we create and live in as a result of our intoxicating, afflicting emotions. There comes a time in all of our lives where we wouldn't be here, when we take a deep breath and say enough, no more. I am done. I want my life to be connected, loving, and real. So when we are fortunate enough to hear these teachings, We realize each and every one of us has the capacity to transform ourselves from legless, intoxicated drunkenness into grounded, sober, connected, affirming beings. We become able to do good, create no harm, and as Mingyur Rinpoche says, we start to turn confusion into clarity. When we commit to turning our practice and engage these teachings, our ordinary self and our ordinary life transforms. If we have the courage to look in the mirror and really take responsibility for co-creating everything we are in the midst of, regardless of how painful or humiliating it looks like, this moment becomes the radical opportunity for transformation. And we need to remember, in this moment, I have a toolbox to carry and to reach into every moment of my ordinary life in every situation i have i find myself in so if we reach for this toolbox which is labeled in neon lights dharma practices <laughs> and we reach for that toolbox instead of defaulting to same old same old habitual ego driven reactivity. If we respond instead skillfully, our confusion actually transforms into connectedness and clarity. So let's imagine again. I don't think this will be a big stretch for most of us, but maybe some of you are for the long. Imagine you are in a situation and someone is really annoying you. I mean, really. I mean, we're in the middle of session. That doesn't take a lot, does it? (laughs) (laughs) So just imagine, really fall into it, feel annoyed, and don't worry about the story. Nobody's reading your mind. Okay, so you feel your body tighten. You feel your reactivity about to show up. Can you pause? In this moment, do you really want to do same old, same old? What fruit will you want to harvest in the moment? Bit of fruit? If you react angrily, self-righteously, defensively, are you actually really expecting to get a warm listening response? Aggression begets aggression. Anger begets anger and separation always leads to separation. So this is the moment of pause and this moment of pause is the moment of possibility. This is the moment to turn toward our toolbox that we carry wherever we go full of dharmic teachings, and holding 2,500 years of proven excellence. Certainly worth a try. Once we realize we co-create our universe wherever we are, the motivation to utilize our toolbox arises. Turning towards Our newly development, newly developing, skillful means. Bringing these practices to life enables us to live lives that are open-hearted and connected. These teachings are not about avoiding negative emotions. This is not about not. Feeling angry, anxious, all the clashes. It's not about feeling chill, happy. When people tell me they want to meditate to relax, it's hard not to laugh. Okay? These teachings are encouraging us to look deeply into every part of ourself and not get hooked or intoxicated by these emotions. This means, okay, for all of us, this means we must be vulnerable to ourselves and to others. This means, you listening? This means we will feel pain. A lot of pain. This means we are making a commitment to it all. To love. To connect. To hurt. We will be disappointed. And we will experience pain. These life experiences are all an expression of the same source. This is the Dharmakaya. This is the 10,000 things. And this is our life. So Let's be concrete and we'll go to the toolbox and see what tools are there and how to use them. One of the simplest and easiest tools I have encountered is the teaching on antidotes. The teaching on antidotes is a practice where we focus only on our own mind. This is not about giving or receiving. We recognize the afflictive emotion that arises within us. We recognize this is a reaction based on our solid sense of self. It's not your fault, I'm pissed off. I feel pissed off, but it's my mind. This solid sense of self is the poisonous snake. When we are bit by a snake, we need to reach for an antidote. The antidote, the antidotes that we need to reach for are the paramitas. The paramitas are generosity, discipline, patience, diligence, stable concentration, and wisdom. So, let's do it. I'm really angry, and I feel like it's all your fault. And I've been coming to session, and I've been coming to session, and I've been coming to session, and I know what my life looks like, and it's not pretty, and that's why I come to session, and come to session, And come to session. So I hear a whisper this time when I get angry. Practice. So the first paramita that I pull out of my toolbox is generosity toward myself so that I don't start beating myself up, reading myself the riot act about all I do is practice and I'm angry. Okay? What I do is I hire a breast band Course for the first time I notice I'm angry and I'm not attacking you. So after generosity toward myself comes discipline. The discipline of practice. The discipline not to indulge the feeling of the moment that feels so solid and real the discipline to look over my shoulder and see that when I have indulged that feeling before, I always completely regret it. The next paramita I use that has been the absolutely most essential to me is patience. Patience. Because now I realize I misperceive. So I kind of remember that if I am actually patient and I can keep my mouth shut, my feeling will change. Now for many of us, stable concentration and wisdom is not really available in the toolbox. (laughs) Sometimes as we get along and we have all these feelings, they actually become available, but it's not always there. So generosity, discipline, patience, and diligence. These parameters really are our tools. If we can pause... Before we react and employ the paramitas, we soften. And bodhicitta arises, and the moment unfolds with presence and connectedness, and our ordinary life transforms. It can be actually quite remarkable, when this starts to happen, because it's so shocking that when we act differently, people respond differently. And it's like, whoa! (laughs) Right? So talk about misperceiving. And it's like the lens actually starts to focus. These paramitas protect us from doing harm and from creating negative karma for ourselves and for others. The paramitas allow us to clear the obscurations of mud covering our Buddha nature so that our inherent goodness flows unimpeded. But this is why we come here, to train, to practice, because this is practice, We do it again, and again, and again. So the practice is, we recognize it, and name our afflictive emotion of the moment, we take ownership of our own mind, we feel our reactivity arising, and we pause. Or as Dogen says, we take the backward step that turns the light and shines it inward. The moment we reach for and employ the parameters is the moment of transformation. At first, we are skeptical, but we practice it anyway because we've been practicing. Then we notice what is happening. So from skeptical, we develop faith. It's like, wow. Over time, transformation is so profound that our faith becomes confidence. For those who have been practicing a little bit more while, there is another tool in the toolbox that can help us avoid being hijacked by our afflictive emotion. This is the practice of just resting in natural ease. If we are able to, we bring our awareness to the sensation in the body of the afflictive emotion of the moment. We feel it. And then... Just rest. Rest with awareness in natural ease. Bringing all your awareness with ease to the sensation, we experience the klesha dissolving just as the sun rests on the fog. These practices of using antidotes and bringing our awareness to our feelings, as if we are the sun dissolving the fog, frees us from being imprisoned by our afflictive emotions. We are all human. We all have feelings. And, you listening? We are not the feelings. We are not the feelings feelings we experience. We can tame our mind and we can train our mind so that we become the person we are all born to be, loving, connected, and kind. Through practicing these teachings, the feelings of permanence and solidity dissolve, and we begin to experience the illusory nature of everything. So these are the tools in the toolbox. The heart of these practices, the toolbox, that all the tools reside in is meditation practice. Meditation practice allows us to cultivate awareness so that we can sober up our intoxicated, afflictive self. This precious practice that we are all training in, right here and now, in session, offers us the opportunity to stabilize our mind so we are able to use the teachings offered us. Through meditation and the cultivation of these practices, we open our eyes and we profoundly transform how we relate to and interact with ourselves and others. We no longer point fingers or look outside ourselves, but truly see this life as a fertile field in which we plant seeds with every thought word and action the more we do this the more the more we do this the more we can actually start to experience that we are giving life to the buddha and our ordinary life becomes a buddha field Before I close with a poem by Hojin Sensei, I would like to say a few more words. (laughs) There are many Buddhist traditions. And there is just one dharma. I would like to call out and honor the tradition and practice we are all engaging in here. This place, this practice is a rare and precious gift that we are all being offered. Lay students, monastics, teachers all practicing together. Practicing together in session offers us the opportunity to experience for ourselves what these teachings are pointing to. This practice truly works. And there is a payoff. The payoff is freedom from our own mind and a life lived in harmony. So, when session ends Sunday after lunch, make certain each and every one of you who are going home, keep in your bones that you are never leaving the zendo for even a moment. The trappings look different, but if you open your eyes, you will see that zazen, kinhin, liturgy, and orioki and work practice are present and alive in every single aspect of your life. And if you're sitting on your cushion right now thinking, yeah, 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 but there's no face-to-face teaching, listen up. Go home and look around and see your partner, your boss, your children, Your colleagues, your parents, do I need to say any more? These are our teachers. When we don't have the privilege to be here in session, our practice is alive and real. There is only one thing that isn't at home, that is here, and that's the monitor. So when you go home... <laughs> when you go home, look in the mirror from the monitor. This practice and monastery is, as Daito Roshi would repeatedly say, no small thing. So... Take care of yourself. Take care of your practice. And I promise you, your practice will take care of you. Your life will transform. And you will experience for yourself the truth of these teachings. So I'd like to close with a poem by Hojin-sensei. Hojin-sensei offered this poem um, in September of 2017. It was at the uh, eye-opening ceremony for the installation of the Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva statue. I wonder if this drop of ink can reach all the way through this very moment, opening your eyes. Every eye is opened, every cry is heard, every belly softened. You know, we know And must remember, graced with your royal ease, help us enact the great love with which we are made. Let the rivulet of this light course through our every breath and be as radiant as the moon on flowers at night. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about the monastery's programs, weekend retreats, and residency, please visit our website at cmm.mro.org.